Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We are both certified arborists through the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forests, which include neighborhoods, parks, and other open spaces. We will also cover a myriad of tree topics, including the important role trees play in relationship to the climate crisis. Thank you for joining us. We are proud to announce that the Planet Trillion Trees podcast has received a silver medal award for a podcast series through Garden Communicators International. We thank Garden Communicators for the recognition. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Monheim Microphones. Monheim Microphones designs and handcrafts top-tier studio microphones and preamps right here in the United States in Hollywood, California. Their incredible line of innovative microphones and designs are used around the world by everyone from podcasters to top-charting record producers and singers. They recently released their new royalty microphone, Monheim Microphones Unparalleled Excellence, monheimmicrophones.com. This podcast is being recorded on March 17th, 2023. Leslie Burkus is the Executive Director of the Society of Municipal Arborists. She brings over a decade of experience in urban forestry to the organization, having served as the Executive Vice President and Des Moines Program Director for Trees Forever, a Midwest-based nonprofit. Leslie is an ISA-certified arborist and holds a bachelor's degree in marketing and a master's degree in public policy with an environmental policy emphasis from the University of Northern Iowa. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, Leslie. We're delighted that you could be with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. We always want to find out a little bit more about our guests and their background and how they wound up in in the profession that they're in. Some people go the circuitous route, other people go the direct route, but we really want to hear how you wound up in urban forestry, which right now is having a heyday and exploding across the nation with with funding, especially with the government's funding for infrastructure and making things wonderful for communities. So if you could give us a background, that would be wonderful. Yeah, you're right. There's no better time to be in the tree business than right now. So I'm, it's a really great time and it's an exciting time to be in this work. And I definitely fall into the former, the securities route to get into this space and time. It sounds like more often than not, people are following some sort of non-traditional path. I know urban forestry profession is growing, so I bet we'll see more people following the quote-unquote traditional path. But, you know, there will be lots of times for people to find this in a new and interesting way. So for me, I don't have a forestry degree. Um, I, I My previous jobs with Trees Forever, a statewide nonprofit, and most people thought I had a forestry degree, but no, I have a degree where my mom told me I had to get a job or a degree where I could get a job. And I was like, well, that must be a business degree. <laughs> That's what everyone thinks. And so I have an undergrad in marketing and then have a master's in public policy with an environmental policy emphasis. So maybe going back even further to why I would have wanted to pursue that and get to this point in life is 
kind of hard to say in a lot of ways. I grew up in a wooded area. I grew up with parents that really loved nature and outdoors. So it was so there, underlying all the time. And everything we did was going outside and spending time, going and catching tadpoles by the railroad tracks, which in hindsight sounds horribly dangerous, but there was I, there I was out there catching tadpoles. And then it just kind of, I think that innate thing grew up in me. And I'm giving speeches in 10th grade about why you should be saving the environment and striking the fear of uh, environmental ruin into my classmates in 10th grade. And then fast forward to college. Again, I said I had to get a degree I could get a job in, quote unquote, or supposedly. And then I was working for a big insurance company, sending out millions of pieces of junk mail, direct mail to people and thinking, this isn't what I want to do. I'm killing trees. I'm not like doing anything for the environment here. And so uh, I actually applied for a job at the Nature Conservancy and didn't get it. And in hindsight, that was the kind of thing that was like, that's it. I have to go back to school or I'm not going to get a job in the environmental work. Really, it probably was just one resume. And I thought I need to turn my life upside down, but it worked out. So I got a job or I got my master's in public policy. I started working for a green building nonprofit focused on how you could make more energy efficient buildings. And then this little job at Trees Forever in Iowa popped up. And I was like, well, I like trees. I can go try that. And that's where I started, was working for this nonprofit. What did Trees Forever, what was their mission or is their mission? Right. So Trees Forever is the statewide nonprofit in Iowa and Illinois. So like a lot of states or cities, there'll be a nonprofit that works and focuses on tree planting. So Trees Forever is a little unique because there's 3 million people in the state of Iowa across a very broad geographic range. And so we're covering towns 2,500 and fewer, lots of those little towns in Iowa, along with big cities, all focused on volunteer planting. So we were working with volunteers to either grant them money, provide technical assistance, to, so they were empowered to get more trees in their community lots of environmental education. And by the time I was wrapping up my time at Trees Forever, we were managing the city of Des Moines tree planting contract. So that's how I started to learn more about municipal forestry and municipal arboriculture because I was working so closely with the city of Des Moines and the city foresters to plan and plant for trees. That's fantastic. And yeah, that's what a great route to bring you to the Society of Municipal Arborists. Yeah. So somewhere halfway through last year, I guess, Leslie, I uh, started to read through your fine publication, City Trees. I can't put my finger on why I like it so much. I find it very accessible, the editorial content. To a certain extent, it seems student-focused, so I'm picking up on the, the vibe of uh, youthful students you know, pursuing their passion for trees in, in the municipal environment. You had a, someone in there, a SMA member, Jose Mireles, who gave this great quote that urban forests are critical to humanity's future. So I'd like to make that the lead in and just ask you, what is the mission of the Society of Municipal Arborists? And who are your members and who do you see uh, being future members? Yeah, thanks for saying that about City Trees. It's a point of pride. Michelle Sutton is our editor. She does a fantastic job of making sure we're representing lots of different people and making sure we see lots of different faces in City Trees and providing a nice mix of story with technical knowledge in City Trees. And you're right, there's kind of this, I don't know, sense of City Trees that it's, I like how you explain it, really accessible to people. And real quick before I go into the mission, Jose, man, I met him at our Municipal Forestry Institute this last year. 
And that young man, he's really grown in his career. And I was like sitting on the edge of my seat, just leaning in as he spoke because he was so passionate about trees and his path and watching his dad on landscaping work. And he is the future of uh, municipal arboriculture, urban forestry. And it was wonderful to hear him talk. So. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, because he's second generation, right? His dad right. is a groundskeeper at one of the right. California universities. Well, and Jose was a groundskeeper. Now he's has new job, but his dad, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, had his own private business. Okay, that's right. Work, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, to the mission, uh, Society of Municipal Arbor Arboriculture, or sorry, Society of Municipal Arborists, SMA, as we go by our acronym, its mission is to build the confidence, competence, and camaraderie of all professionals who manage trees. And I put I a little that. emphasis on all there. It's actually a new addition to our mission. This past January, our board of directors got together and did strategic planning, and we looked at our mission, and while we felt it was a very strong mission, we felt we needed to put that word all, a small word that we think packs a really big punch and meaning, because our name says municipal arborists. Well, so that has a certain connotation to people, but things are changing. We're seeing urban forestry pop up more and seeing this management of an entire urban forest, maybe not as much the management of a single tree, arboriculture. Uh, don't take me wrong. We still, there's plenty of places for the arboriculture, arborist, managing a single tree. We also need to be thinking of managing the entire forest. So we really want to make sure people see, hear that word all and know they belong at SMA. If you manage trees in a city, nonprofit, official government worker, some other piece that I'm not thinking of, we want you to be part of this organization because there's power in this network and knowing you're not the only one. I've said to many people that when I started at Trees Forever, I felt like I got this little pat on the head, like, oh, you're to people outside <laughs> the organization. You're so cute. You plant trees. I would go to community meetings and it was this kind of, oh, sure, we'll get to trees as number 59 on our list when we have time. I was just going to say that that's so classic for yeah. when I got started years and years ago, we had an urban forester and that was rare to have an urban forester in a community. And when we started to network with foresters, they, this was so strange to them because mm -hmm. they were growing trees. They were actually growing the trees in the forest. And right. to even talk to an urban forester was a different language. Mm -hmm. And when you start to incorporate and when you start to invite other people in who may not be part of the organization per se as an urban forester, you get a whole different perspective and you, you get a whole different approval rating, if you will, yeah. from a broader sense of, of uh, people in the green industry. And I think Hal and I talk about that all the time. It's so critical. And I think you did the right thing. Your organization did the right thing by saying all, because yeah. that is critical for success going down into the future for yeah. tree planting. Well, just talking to some of our members and hearing about their forestry programs, they're divided up across three different areas, development department, uh, public works and parks, or they're in neighborhood services, public works and parks. And so when you think about those different interests that a department might, well, needs to follow in a city, now you're trying to get lots of buy-in. And so trying to get all those people with us and seeing trees as a piece of the puzzle especially when you're in a public works department <laughs> where they're thinking of pipes, concrete, moving snow, putting in light poles, you know, those hard things. And if you don't see yourself as a piece of the puzzle, they're going to dismiss you. 
because their thing comes first. And so that was always my thought of like, I know, I know your pipe's really important. (laughs) I agree. How can I help you? My tree can help slow down water before it hits your pipe. Can we work together on that aspect of this? And that way I felt like it was more of this and conversation, not or. I'm not saying my tree or your pipe. We're working on this together. I think silos and professions are out. Uh, Holisticness is in. (laughs) You know, being inclusive is is critical for success for any profession right now because you cross over so many different realms. As you say, you know, you're dealing with pipes. Well, we had Planet Geo on and how they manage by using GIS for Mm -hmm. all the different layers of a city's infrastructure. Well, trees are part of the infrastructure. They're not excluded from the infrastructure, which they always have been. They now are included in it. And they really have to be because they're one of our biggest visuals in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Trees are the superhero of the green infrastructure world. So need to be making sure we're accounting for them. Yeah, I'm just thinking of all the hats that that municipal forester must wear. Right. You know, and every city is going to be so completely different from the city with the older urban center and then so often the exurbs that are going to be exponentially more prosperous and newer and have the bigger budget, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, a little bit more of a pipeline to the mayor and moving forward with things versus one particular city I'm thinking of that really struggles to kind of move things along so that its citizens can see progress. Right. So with that in mind, well, I guess this is just going to take us into the conference that you sponsor every year because Mm -hmm. Eva and I are both certified arborists. We understand the disease and the insect and the pruning and planting aspects of it. How does the mission of SMA work towards helping membership kind of understand the government side of what they do? Yeah. Well, uh, two things there. You mentioned the conference. Yes, we hold a conference every year that's really focused on education and getting that, well, education and networking. Our conference is typically held with the Partners in Community Forestry Conference with Alliance for Community Trees, the Urban Wood Network, and Arbor Day Foundation. This year is going to be a little different. We're interweaving it with the World Forum on Urban Forestry, which is really exciting. It will be the week of October 16th to the 20th uh, in Washington, D.C. And uh, the first one was held in Italy about five years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, what a what an awesome thing to bring people from across the world working in urban forestry I recently found out from a colleague in Europe that the term urban forestry is not really something that they think of. And maybe you've had someone on the podcast, Eva, to your point of this term forestry means something. I'm managing a forest for lumber production, something. And so you can't do that in an urban environment is this thought in Europe, as I understand it. So they're even having to use different language, nature-based solutions. They're trying out different language. So bringing everyone together, maybe we don't say the same words, but the same concepts are there. So it's really exciting this year. Hal, to your point about, I'm a certified arborist as well, and knowing the the science and um, specifics of how a tree works and how we make sure it's a healthy tree, what we so want our urban foresters and municipal arborists to have, and we know they do, they have, a lot of them have that basis in science. Not all. I mean, I didn't have my certified arborist when I started as an urban forester, but I think it led to that because I needed to know the basis of how trees work 
I used to teach a volunteer training called Tree Keepers. And I'd say, if you know how to kill a tree, you know how to keep it alive. And so we'd go through all the steps of how a tree dies. And so now they can do it in reverse and keep their trees alive. But SMA really focuses on the professional and the profession of. I see that as some of my goals and vision of SMA is historically and ongoing, we want to help serve individual professionals who are made up of members. I want to see us building the profession of urban forestry. And I I hope that makes sense. I see it a little different because I'd like our members to see us advocating for them. I want to advocate for them at another level. If they want their public works director to support hiring more people or support an urban forest master plan, I, SMA, need to be at American Public Works Association or uh, the Department of Transportation or the National Parks and Rec, whatever organization you're housed enough, we need to be there talking to those people to help them better understand. So I'd really like us to be taking that route. I want SMA to be setting up the BMPs, best management practices, the standards, be it maybe we set brown, silver, gold, platinum, that we think urban forestry programs need to meet. Now, this makes it easier, I hope, for you as a professional to take it to your city department, city manager, and say, if we want to meet accreditation, if we want to meet these standards, here's what they are and I'm going to work for it. And that that will be with input from members and professionals in the field, because, of course, we need them to tell us what they're seeing on the ground. And that, that's how I see SMA being a little bit different than some of the other organizations, how I hope we support members. We well, you know I was thinking when you were talking that one of the things that might be driving this is, you know, we talk about all the research that's coming out and, and talking about the benefits of trees, especially the health benefits. And when we start to see GIS pictures of cities and the inequity of trees, we start to realize that we may have only been concentrating in areas that we live in, not necessarily areas that other people live in. And it's like, it's the other that needs to come together or all of us need to come together rather than just us and them or this area and that area. It needs to be united together. And once we start to see these maps and realize the the disparaging differences between uh, low-income areas and upper-income areas, you you can actually see that there's tree cover in the wealthier areas and not so much in the less wealthy areas or the poor areas. And once we start to get that, that's kind of pushing the envelope for us to be more conscious holistically mm-hmm. and from a health standpoint, but also from an infrastructure standpoint, who's getting the benefits of the tax dollars? Who is getting the benefits of what we're all putting in? And is it equally distributed? And and we these maps are clearly saying it's not. Right. And that is where I think a lot of this municipal work is coming into play because we're starting to see and realize and hearing from people who have not received what they should be receiving. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the missions for your organization is an equal distribution of different types of jobs, for example, you're talking about. You know, the idea of representing everyone or talking to everyone, that's important. Mm -hmm. And I really love the fact that the Society of Municipal Arborists is trying to be inclusive. That word all, coming back to that word all, yeah, is critical for what you do. Well, yeah, in, it's such, especially with the Inflation Reduction Act money coming and this focus on Justice 40, 
our municipal arborists, city foresters are going to have to be really savvy and thinking really critical about where trees go. And not only the data-driven side of it, we know trees follow wealth. And I think we've been talking about that for so many years that enough people know about it. Hal, you mentioned the many competing interests and the hats that a city arborist has to wear. And you know, it's a, it's a tricky job. You're on the front lines. You're making decisions about what size a tree. You're talking with the nursery. Then you're going and talking with your contractor and trying to figure out what the heck did they just do? Why did they not follow my specs at all? Then you get a homeowner call and you're trying to deal with that complaint. And then city council's after you for something. And so there's all these things in your best intentions of trying to plan and think critically and say, how do we work on these trees gets pushed to the back burner. And I'm not saying that's the right thing, but we know how that that happens. So now with this funding, we have the opportunity to be really critical and not only have the data behind seeing how tree canopy is not equally distributed across our cities, but we're going to have to be very savvy in our community outreach. And we, we know lessons from city of Detroit and other communities where it was basically good news I'm here with trees with no foresight or conscious effort of how you're going to really talk with those neighbors. There's the historical inequities and historical uh, mistreatment of certain neighborhoods where they, they just want their sidewalks fixed. Sure, I like a tree, but I also want my sidewalk fixed. Or I've seen the consequences of poor tree care on my sidewalks, and I don't want that. I can't have that in my neighborhood. So our city foresters are going to have to really kind of step up and it's going to be hard work. But if we work together with other departments, our nonprofits in our communities, I think we can do much better. And I I hope we will. Well, there, there's also that point too, when you're talking about planting a tree, the utility is coming in and saying, okay, well, no, you can't plant here because you have utility lines here. You know, we have the wonderful 1-800 numbers that we can call. And that has changed how we plant trees too. The cooperation between utilities and, and tree planting within cities and usually non, non-profit organizations and volunteer organizations. So that is already known. And that's also very helpful for infrastructure and for the, the Society of Municipal Arborists because we already have them working with us. Yeah, in Des Moines, we were really fortunate. My experience was working really closely with our um, utility provider. They would come and teach at our volunteer training class. And the people who came in and said that utility was the tree butchers, I bet people on this podcast might still think that. (laughs) Um, uh, And I'm not saying they're perfect, right? but it was nice to hear the standards that they were trying to achieve. There was a forester on staff, or actually several foresters at my utility here, and SMA is really fortunate. We've got a great partnership with the Utility Arborist Association, working to keep growing that partnership and thinking about how we're more conscious of trees and utilities. Yeah. It's very interesting. Things are going to be coming full circle in terms of the utility arboriculture sector because people think with solar and wind that the electric lines are going to go away. But they're definitely mm-hmm. going to be around and there's going to be a lot more of them. And uh, so the interplay between proper tree care and maintaining the health and strength of the grid is not going away. That will always be a reality. Yeah, just wait for the fight of solar versus trees. Those (laughs) trees need to come out so that our solar panels can get more sun. That will be in it. (laughs) That's already Uh, happening. That's already happening. (laughs) It's actually happening in my own house because my wife is saying, we need to take a beech tree down that I'm looking at right now because 
there's a place for five more panels. And it's a small, you know, self-seated beach. And I feel bad, but beach leaf disease is coming. Yeah. Just to jump back to the conference, which I'm so intrigued by, I'm just wondering what your, and I'm not asking for who your speakers are, but just based on what we've talked about in the first portion of this podcast, the planning that must go in for bringing speakers in, because it's more than just bringing in someone to talk about pruning or disease management. Any thoughts on how that looks for you, Leslie, when you're thinking, okay, who do we bring in that can talk to our audience about creating networks and reaching out to other professions? Mm-hmm. I have a feeling one way or another that's part of the agenda for this fall. Well, yes, and so my account, this was my first conference this last year. I've only been on the job a little over six months. Oh, so it, it was new to me, the conference this year. Okay. <laughs> I've been to the Partners Conference many years. I was just in another room. I was in the Alliance for Community Trees room with the nonprofits. Uh, that's how I knew so much about SMA. They were one of the big four or big five nonprofits to me because I saw them at the Partners Conference. And truthfully, this year is so much different because it's with the UN, the the World Forum. Like, Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of planning happening at a much higher level than me, making sure they're planning for this World Forum. I see. With that said, typically what I would like to see with our conferences and what I hear from our members is a mix of wanting technical expertise, technical knowledge that might be more ordinance-based than just uh, pest and disease because they're probably getting that in an ISA conference or an ISA event. They might be looking more for how did you put your tree preservation protocol? How are you deciding what size trees you're planting? So we do want some technical knowledge. I also want to see us thinking big picture and having those inspirational talks. Why are you doing this work? Maybe this is a little bias and some on my side. You're seeing, I came to that partners conference and I felt renewed because I got to see the big picture, the inspirational side of things. And the days got hard and a lot of days get very hard when you're an urban forester because you're trying to hit a big tree target number and things just kind of like domino effect. It seems like falling, like I had best laid plans. Why is the homeowner rejecting all these trees? And now I've got to move them. Mm -hmm. You get to the conference, you're with people who are doing the same thing. You don't feel alone now. And I get to hear this big inspirational talks about why we're doing this work. So I I like to see a mix of that thinking big picture along with that technical side of things, the how-tos as well. Yeah, I think we get that experience doing the podcast is Mm -hmm. there's guests that come on and you're 10 minutes into it and you realize this is going to be a feel-good conversation. Because uh, people are doing amazing things that we had never thought of. And all of a sudden, it's all being laid out. And then there's other times where it's going, oh, this is a lot of gloom and doom. And uh, <laughs> Yes, the gloom and doom does hit us quite often with this, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think inspiration when you're in the trenches is, is critical for keeping you moving forward. Mm-hmm. And again, seeing the big picture, as you mentioned, makes you feel more grounded and purposeful in your action. At least I think that when I go out to the different conferences and come back and I say, oh, you know what? I just learned X, Y, Z, or I just went out to Oklahoma this past weekend. And when I saw their tree planting, I was blown away because there were thousands of trees that they planted since the last time I was there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was coming from the airport and seeing taxodium planted by the mile. And my mouth dropped. And I said to the woman who picked me up, I said to her, 
what is going on here? This is a green revival or what? And she goes, there, it's very controversial because some people don't want it and other people do. And it's the tornado road, you know? And I was saying, you know, it may even change how tornadoes come into Oklahoma just by having the trees there. You never know. And yeah. so that to me is really inspirational going out and seeing and then coming back and bringing that back home and talking with others about it. I think one of my number one comments I got at Trees Forever, because we did a lot of volunteer plantings. And so we'd have volunteers out and they'd say, this must be so satisfying to you because when you leave, you get to see immediate results. And it really was like you finished this big roll of street tree plantings and I'd make my husband swing back around the street because I wanted to see the whole line of trees we had just planted. And like all that hard work was suddenly paid off and you kept reminding yourself of that. So yeah, just all that to say, oh, on this, sorry, the second question I would get a lot was how many trees have you planted? I was like, me specifically? Or like with people? No, you specifically. And I was like, well, I haven't kept a tally. So now you're starting to wonder if you should be documenting every single tree you plant so you could answer that. <laughs> have a little card to punch. I, yeah, I, exactly. Actually, I wouldn't mind that because every time I fly, I go, well, this just undid all my work. Oh, for there tree you go. Plants. Yeah. I'm gonna... <laughs> Yep. Back well, to square yeah. one. When I was a professor, it was how many trees did I propagate? <laughs> okay. There you thousands, go. Thousands. Yes. <laughs> Last year, Leslie, SMA sponsored the uh, Municipal Forestry Institute. And I heard that from a few of our guests. And it, for me, it just seemed like there was a nice buzz. You know, social media picked it up. Can you tell our listeners what that institute is all about? And Remind me, where was it held last year? Was it in the Pacific Northwest? No, Central, Bowling Green, Ohio. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm only off 3,000 miles. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so the Municipal Forestry Institute, we go by MFI, so I'm going to shorten it. So we have one of those acronyms here. Yep. Is one of SMA's signature programs. And it has been offered every year since 2006 has not taken a break since, hmm. um, not even during the pandemic. It was held right before the world closed down in 2020 and then came back up, uh, was held in person in 2021 as well, and then in person ever since. And the Municipal Forestry Institute, MFI, has had just a long history of helping train the next leaders of urban forestry. You're not going to learn proper pruning cut. You're not going to learn the latest pest and disease issues. You're going to learn how you become a leader within your city department, how you develop a leadership mindset how you take those next steps. So talking about the inspiration, that, that's, I think, a really core thing that people get from MFI is feeling inspired to help lead within their communities. I know there's a lot of people who have built MFI. Like I just said, I've been at the organization for a little over six months. So I was really new to it. I was uh, like week four when I went to MFI this year. So I was alongside the participants is really taking it in and learning from our instructors. So there is over uh, 850 people who have graduated from MFI from across the country and the globe, most from the United States or Canada, something we want to be thinking about has our international presence. And I, I just think it's, like you said, it's really inspiring to people. People identify with it. And part of it is because it's a week-long intensive program. You come, you arrive on a Sunday night, you don't leave till Friday afternoon, and you're with everyone nonstop. That whole time, there are long days, and it's this kind of immediate bonding very quickly, kind of boot camp-like, I think, is what I've heard from people. And that is really powerful. They develop lifelong friendships and network from it. With all that said, I, I kind of emphasize it hasn't taken a break since 2006. 
And with that, we have decided and are taking a focus year in 2023. Okay. Yep. We're not holding the Institute this year. Instead, we're focusing on strategic planning, bringing together a steering committee, focusing on curriculum. Is the curriculum meeting modern urban forestry standards in education? Will it stand the test of time for the next 10 years? How do we make sure it evolves for the next 10 plus years? And we're also holding alumni events throughout the year. We really have heard a lot that people want some sort of like MFI 2.0 or something. You, you come to MFI often as an early mid-career professional. Now you've been in the industry for, I don't know, 10 plus years and you need something new. You're facing new issues and you need new training. So this year we'll, we'll spend a little time kind of fleshing that out and seeing what it looks like and then seeing what kind of an MFI 2.0 looks like in the future. We'll pick back up with the full Institute early 2024. People can sign up on our website now if they want to be notified of that. And then we're just eager to keep it as the premier urban forestry training in the country and hopefully world, I should say. Yes, so cool. And I imagine in 2024, and then if it goes back to an annual thing, since, as Eva just mentioned, you know, technology is really ripping the Band-Aid off of underserved communities throughout our North American cities, the annual institute is going to give participants an opportunity to say, here's what we're doing now. You know, here's a rollout of the new software or how drones are being used or stuff that even, you know, is way beyond me, but I see it developing at life speed and uh, and Mm -hmm. that technology is just going to play that critical part for not only maintaining and giving us information, but moving cities forward with establishing and maintaining healthy canopy. Yeah, I think at MFI, that typically happens on the kind of side conversations as people are together because it's so focused more on leadership. Oh, real? okay. Principles, Yeah. how you would lead your team, that kind of thing. But with that said, the technology, yes. Uh, thinking about tree mapping, what that might look like in the future. At Trees Forever, we were certifying all of our trees planted for carbon credits. We did a webinar for our SMA members this past year about how they could also be carbon crediting trees. There's so much tracking that needs to happen with something like that. I think that's going to really be a key thing happening for our foresters over the next several years is carbon crediting and thinking about that. One thing that was kind of, I was starting to emerge and see from carbon crediting is every certain number of years, you have to go back and assess those trees, a segment of them, to prove that they're still there and you didn't plant them, cut them down and move on and replant and keep, you know, all sorts of things with carbon crediting. Yeah. But I think we're going to see, that's a lot of person power to go out and monitor those trees, especially if you're starting to do them in some remote areas, smaller communities. Could you be using satellite imagery or some other technology that would help us look at them from a desktop and not have to travel many miles to go monitor those trees? Or, you know, do your, you're trying to do all this other work as a forester. Could you be monitoring them from your desktop or have someone monitor for you? Okay. So thank you for that clarification that MFI really does focus on the leadership and communication skills for its. Right. Uh, that's that's perfect. That's yeah. great. Yeah. To the point where one of the things that I think people love and hate the most about MFI is we have a wonderful woman come in who uh, is a media professional, and she will kind of do these ambush interviews with people and like <laughs> force them on the spot to say something, and then. Uh, then show it to them afterwards. <laughs> and so uh, I think people love and hate that because it's so uh, jarring, but the people really love it because they get to see how they would react if something someone came up to you. Tree falls down in a storm and now you're being like 
grilled on what to do next. That helps an urban forester better understand how to address those things. Right. Well, you know, I think that that's important. I had a, an incident where someone called me from the Philadelphia Inquirer and they said to me, this woman was killed in the park and a branch fell on her while she was running. Well, I hate to say it, but you shouldn't be running at 40 mile an hour winds in a park. And especially after you had the rainiest season for a long time and the trees grew so much and they hadn't had a chance to really toughen up that the branch fell and, you know, they wanted to find out who they should sue. And I said, that's an act of God. You know, the organization that maintains that park is there all the time and they're looking out, but they can't be pruning everything after a heavy storm or heavy season like that. And especially not walking through a woodland in the middle of a windstorm, you know, those kind of things. And I think you're right about what you're saying that how, how critical it is to make sure that people are aware of the importance and the overall structure of a tree and how it progresses with time and with age. And is that all being tracked? Yeah. Yep. I wanted to ask a little bit, Leslie, about SMA's relationship with the International Society of Arboriculture. And it seems, and forgive me if I'm out of the loop, it seems like there's a strategic partnership between the two organizations, which I think is obviously terrific. Um, can you describe how that's working out for both organizations? Yeah, it is wonderful. It's definitely a strategic partnership. We are in a professional affiliate of ISA. And what does that mean? So I bet a lot of listeners, if they're in the States, maybe international might know more of the components. So they might be familiar with the Western chapter or they're members of the New England chapter. Right. Those are components of ISA and help deliver trainings on behalf of ISA locally. And I, I'm mentioning that here because kind of sister to that is a professional affiliate and that's what we are. Okay. So we're operating at a different space. Our Utility Arborist Association is also a professional affiliate. So by that, the people who are getting credentialed through ISA, either they're a certified arborist or in our case, a municipal specialist is an add-on you can get to your ISA credential you might now be a professional member of SMA. And now we can help gather you, network you, and help also provide training that would lead to more credentialing or CEUs through ISA. So it's kind of this give and take of the credentialing of the individual, bringing them to the professional network of SMA. So that's the partnership. Both of us have interest in developing the municipal specialist more. And so focusing on what that provides for an add-on, how do we make sure the municipal specialist is seen as a key component to a job? So it's one, like, why would I go get credentialed if my job doesn't offer it or I don't see a way to promote it? So we need to be working together to make sure that uh, organizations see that as a really broad benefit. And we want our people, we want people educated more. We want them to have those additional credentials to show that they have that knowledge and just set them apart. Okay. so. Here's one idea that, again, you know, we're in our third year of the podcast and these tendrils uh, and and I can tell that you really have a a bit of a genius with it in terms of the what we call rhizomorphic networking of the far reaching fields all coming together. And I think Eva actually, uh, the light went off a few weeks ago when we realized that one industry that is kind of languishing a little bit is the nursery growing trade. The people out there growing trees, maybe there isn't enough 
conversations going on between the arborists and the nursery profession. So the idea, rhizomorphic networking, maybe it's pie in the sky, but it, it feels like also there's this forward inertia. Could ISA ever reach out and make them an, an affiliate partner? Because and someone in the nursery industry? Right. Well, yes. I, I When I was working at Trees Forever and even now, the nursery industry was a piece I was starting. It's like the more you know, the less you know, and just this like huge industry that it is and the time frame we're talking about to get trees to us is just unbelievable. I would try and impress upon that to volunteers we had out because they'd ask, they'd ask, how old is this tree? Number Another question you'd often hear, they're like, well, hard to tell. Different trees grow at different rates, but you know, five to seven years old, maybe by the time we're planting it. Now you're thinking about either the research that went into propagation that might, I saw a presentation once about the 20 year horizon it took from research to getting it to the nursery. And now they've got to grow it for another five to 10 years before you can get it. It's just amazing to think about the commitment there. A couple of months ago, SMA had Dr. Grant Thompson. He's located here in Iowa. And he's been working with a, a team of researchers and I, I can't think of all their names, but it's a team looking at the nursery industry. And I loved it. It's called Widening the Funnel is their research. Hmm. And it talks about from propagation to nursery growing to the landscape architects and really the forester, urban forester and nonprofit is at the bottom of that funnel. Mm. And they have inherited everyone's decision above that. Wow. From this will not grow in the nursery, just period. The tree does not propagate, doesn't grow. We can't get it anywhere. To then the nursery saying, I can't grow this fast enough and turn around and make a profit. I'm not going to grow it. So they eliminate it. And now you can't get enough tree diversity at the end of this funnel. Some of that is part of the urban forester's fault, quote unquote, because they require certain sizes, like 1.5 inch caliper. That is what my specs say you have to plant that. The nursery is not going to grow you anything. They're going to try and grow something fast to get you to that 1.5 inch quick. So if you start to open up your specs more and say, okay, well, maybe I'll accept a one inch or 1.25. Well, now I can start incorporating some slower growing species that now the nursery doesn't feel pressure to try and grow it out so quickly. They've got more time. They know you're committed to a smaller tree stock. Their, their, their rate of return is better. So yeah, I'm not sure about the professional affiliate part, but there's definitely with the consolidation of nursery, but I think I'm seeing or have heard of with fewer and fewer mom and pop shops, quote unquote, and more yeah. big nurseries. Uh, it's certainly going to be something that we have to face, especially as we're being asked to plant so many trees <laughs> over this next time frame. Do you think it could be possible that every city in the country could have its own nursery? And when I say that, I mean, it could be run by a group of people that have nurseries that they bring all the trees to a certain point where those trees can be distributed throughout the city. It could be either a distribution type model or it could be an actual nursery within the confines of the, of the city, and you will accept to grow smaller trees and to plant smaller trees to take off quicker. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking yesterday I was watching a, um, a Zoom show on the Miyawaki method, the tiny forest in uh, UC Berkeley, and how that's taking off. And we had a gentleman from Tiny Forest Project uh, on episode 20, 31, it was back in the almost the first year of our podcast. And they are growing trees much faster when they're planted earlier. And so 
we can actually see something down the line if uh, our municipal arborists are actually there to kind of guide the whole thing, to actually help the people figure things out. And I, I think that that's probably how I see you and your organization as conductors, uh, like a, an orchestra, you know, putting things together and, and having everything come together so that it all works for the infrastructure of the city. And uh, I'm stealing that. <laughs> I, like the, I like the thought of a conductor. <laughs> but it's true. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't have just a violin over there. Hey, okay, they're just playing over there, but they don't make the impression as much as when it's to, combined with the whole orchestra. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I think your organization is how I see it, you know, being that conductor and making things happen on the large scale. And again, we have to think, large scale, as you mentioned, you enjoy having the big picture and then take it down to the small pieces, which you can actually do too as as the um, Society of Municipal Arborists, having all those elements together. And that's where maybe the nursery uh, component can come in and and be part of. Yeah. I'm going to read. I really love that thought of a conductor and all the pieces that have to go together. I had hired a young woman at uh, Trees Forever who said to me, I never knew how much work it took to get one tree in the ground. Well said. And I had been doing it for so long that it was kind of like, oh, well, I know I got to call the nursery over here and I got to call uh, 811 to do utility line clearance and I got to do this. And, I, you know, maybe I knew it was work, but I hadn't thought about it. So to hear her say that caused me to pause and all of the pieces that go into it. And so, yes, there's many, many pieces and it is like trying to make a orchestra sound good together to get one tree in the ground. It also goes to, was it John Mahoney from West Coast? West Coast Arborists. Arborists. He was so funny. He goes, yes, we do everything from seed to senescence. I love that. I love that because they do. They grow the stuff and they plant the stuff and they nurture it and they take care of it and then they remove it, you know, at, at a critical point. And I thought that was, okay, they're doing everything that we hope that every city should be doing. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm still kind of stuck on that idea, you know, that ISA, if th- there could be a conversation, because Leslie, when you laid out a, a minute or two ago about, you know, the image of the funnel, 80% of the talking points that you made, I was not aware of. I mean, that's how out of the loop I am as a commercial arborist, other than, you know, my time where I go to a nursery and pick up a tree. And at the same time, it feels like now is the time that arborists and nursery people should be talking to each other now more than ever, you know, having that conversation so people are on the same page. And you just outlined, you know, the pitfalls and the bumps in the road for getting the right tree to the municipal forester. And I mean, I'm assuming Iowa's probably got some pretty great nurseries, right? In terms of, uh, no? Well, I, um, I don't want to be ignorant of anything, but we have fairly few. We don't grow a lot of trees here. Hmm. A lot of trees were being shipped in from Oregon, maybe Minnesota. And there's some nurseries, same of that we were talking about, that um, shrinking of the nursery industry. Fewer mom and pop shops. We had one nursery here called Iowa Native Trees and Shrubs that was growing trees from seed, as far as I knew, and I, I could be wrong. That was one of the few that we saw growing from seed, native seed stock. And so now, now we could open up a whole thing about natives versus non-natives and what yeah. we're going to see in our urban forest. But to the nursery part, 
Um, I, I maybe I don't want to speak too much. Maybe I, I'm sure ISA is thinking about that. Perhaps working with nurseries, it's going to take an all hands on deck, and we're probably going to have some tough conversations. Yeah. When I started at Trees Forever, the organization was working to try and bring together nursery growers because we were so concerned about quality. Not only were we not getting the trees we wanted, the quality was just not there. Yeah. And I, I you know, I say this delicately. I'm not trying to disparage anybody because I understand it's a business and you're trying to turn trees and you're trying to meet high demand. I'm telling you, I want more trees right now. And now you need to respond to it and try and get me trees faster. And that comes with risk of poor quality or not as much uh, tree availability. So it's going to take both sides really understanding that and being willing to have those tough conversations. Sometimes when you talk about starting your own nursery, now we're getting into competition. I'm not sure if Eva, this is what you're saying, but if it's a government growing their own trees, now private business is upset that you're competing against them for tree purchase. Well, I know I don't know. I don't have the answers, but we need to be talking about it for sure. Yeah, and I and I think too that there's different models that and there's a model down in Maryland which I love. The Manor of View Farm is involved in it, and they are a hub where all the other nurseries can bring their stuff there for orders, so that um, landscapers don't have to travel around to ten different places to pick up the stuff. They can come to this hub and pick everything up. So a city location could be a hub of some type. And it could be that, you know, everybody's an independent nursery person or whatever industry that it is. And it's about being able to interchange and exchange of products. But also at the same time, that's when you're going to be exchanging ideas. And, you know, if you say to somebody, you know, I, I really want to buy from your nursery, but the, the standard is not meeting our standard. How can we get you to get that standard up? I mean, it's as simple as asking that question. And and I think that it's not so much that they mean to do that, but it's maybe that they just don't know how to get there. And it might be that simple. And I know that uh, I work with nurseries all the time and I talk with nursery people. They all have their best foot forward and they all want to make things right. It's just that we have to connect that rightness to them Mm-hmm. Yeah. if that makes any sense. And, yeah. and and I think that, again, you're in a position, Leslie, where the Society of Municipal Arborists is a critical organization for for having all that happen. And you are looking at each industry from a really wonderful vantage point of being in an urban area. And how is that going to how is that going to affect us down the line from, you know, 50 years from now or 20 years from now? That to me, I think, is is a powerful seat to be in. <laughs> yeah, um, what drives me every day is saying, I want more trees in the ground and maintained, but I want more trees in the ground. Now, what do I need to do? What is everything? And then I, you get this web vision in your mind. <laughs> that tree gets in the ground, what pieces needed to happen to get it there? Even thinking about how we get more managers of trees. How can we be a a voice to get more people either educated through a four-year degree, two-year degree, apprenticeship program, whatever it might be, to get you in a point where you can help manage those tree plantings or think about the big picture. So yeah, it's a fun and exciting time to be in this work and to think about how we can support. How do I get more trees in the ground? Yeah, I was just going to say that the Philadelphia just came out with their big tree plan. When was it? When was it? A couple of weeks ago? Yeah, just not more than a month ago. Okay. And I did want to acknowledge how great 
Philly Tree Plan did with getting community input, which is something we talked about earlier in this interview, is that was they really laid the groundwork by uh, nightly, regular meetings soliciting input from citizens. With, with the community. Well, I want to just circle back to one last question for you, Leslie, which is, I did notice getting back to City Trees magazine that, uh, and maybe it's MFI that does does all that, but it seems like you do have a younger demographic, students and such. And I'm wondering, does SMA, do you reach out to the colleges that uh, offer urban forestry? Is that how you uh, expand your outreach and brand? Well, yes, and we want to keep doing more work in that. So uh, I would say first that our student membership is our fastest growing membership segment of SMA the number of student members that we have join us. That is because of our partnership with ISA. If you become a member of your local chapter, you can become a member for free of a professional affiliate as well. And so that's a great way to get more young people in the door. With that said, I want to see us growing it more and being really strategic. Part of we just launched our strategic plan that's going to start in 23 and will last us for another couple of years. And there is so much focus in that strategic plan of how we engage with young people. So we want to work more with educational institutions. I had a call a couple of weeks ago with Sarah uh, Barron, if I'm saying her last name right, with the University of British Columbia and their urban forestry program and how we could be working with them more. So this kind of thing that it might on the surface seemingly be separate, does MFI fit in this line of education? Does, where does SMA fit in this line of education? Maybe on the surface you think, well, that's the academics. They're working on it. But here, Eva, to your point about silos, this needs to be more holistic and how do we think about it all playing together? So I'd like us to see, or I'd like to see us engaging more with academic institutions, encouraging more people to be part of some sort of formal education. I want to be really careful that we're not only advocating for four-year degrees. People come into this with many different ways, different types of education that they like and um, respond to. So maybe it is more hands-on, on the ground apprenticeship type of work, and then exploring how we engage people once they're in. Uh, we haven't formalized this yet, but I would like to see us form some sort of student or young and emerging professionals committee. So we hear from students directly. What do they need? What do they want? What do they see the future of forestry? This could be a reverse mentoring perspective too. You know, mentoring often has that more experienced person to less experienced person. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. What if we flip that on its head? Amen. So what can we learn yeah. from younger people Definitely. Who, uh, who see the world different way? Yeah. They're facing a climate crisis and they know what they need to be doing. Just that we all know what we need to be doing, but our, hopefully our young people will get a chance to make the changes that we need to see happen. And with that, I also want to say that there are people who are in their middle years where they are tired of what they've been doing and they just want to do something for the planet because they have they've they're disgusted with where they're at and mm -hmm. i see this in my edu from from the education or from a professor standpoint from a, a teacher standpoint i see that all the time i teach at longwood gardens and i see people who in their midlife they realize that this is not what they want to do and they want to be working with plants they want to be working with trees they want to be doing that and that that's another venue altogether, which I think is is critical too, because they may come with other skills already beautifully uh, hammered out and and can work with the organization in other ways besides just the tree planting. Yeah. So something to consider down the line. 
But we have a question that we always end our program with, and that is, what is your favorite trait? And and we know it's hard, especially if you're a woman and you have children. We always say, like, we can't pick our favorite child, um, <laughs> but it can be more than one. And um, we would love to hear what your yeah. input is. Now, I have a favorite one. Uh, before I get too far, although I am an arborist, I've been working on a tree, I never learned my scientific names very well. So <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you a common name and you can tell me. Uh, American Sycamore is my favorite tree by Latinus far. Latinus occidentalis. Thank you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just, I think the majesty, the heights, you know, maybe we all get kind of impressed by tall things, uh, but the height those trees achieve, the the branching structure, that exfoliating bark, I just think there's nothing more beautiful. Here where I live in Des Moines, Iowa, there's a street called Polk Boulevard and another one called Thompson Avenue that uh, they are lined with rows of sycamores. I know, I know, <laughs> not what we're supposed to do, but you cannot deny that a line of a single tree is gorgeous. And seeing a line of 80-plus-year-old sycamores, beautiful. Fantastic answer, That's Leslie. Wonderful. That's great. I'm going to take the American sycamore image off into the weekend and <laughs> think about it is, them. It, yeah. it is a real favorite here, too. So yeah. we thank you so much for your time and your energy that you're putting into your position. And we look forward to hearing and seeing where you go and how you galvanize our industry in the future. So thank you, Leslie, for being with us. I know Hal and I really appreciate the work that you do. Well, thanks, Hal and Eve. I really appreciate it. It's great to be a new executive director and get a chance to talk about our organization. And it's been so wonderful to talk with you. Appreciate it. Hopefully I'll uh, see you in October in Washington. Yes, we will see each other. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Thank you.